Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hello, everyone. It is Ethan Lipsitz back again with Love Extremist Radio. I am in the home office of Jim George. Jim is the chief creative officer of a new company called Still Life, headquartered on Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice, the famous Abbott Kinney, <laughs> dedicated to the reduction of suffering, increasing of well-being, and the pursuit of a life well-lived through the practice of what we call stillness. Jim has a private therapy practice as well in the canals in Venice, where we are right now, and prefers the term neurological pyromaniac, simply because he loves fanning the spark of personal inspiration into a roaring blaze of meaning and fulfillment. Watching clients fly is my greatest joy, says Jim. Really awesome to be connected. We met through Matt Polson. Yeah, love Matt who is also on the podcast, and I am going to record a part two with him and his mother. Oh, brilliant. Talking about their experiences Oof, together. Yeah, talk about love, man. That guy's got it in spades. He really does, mm. yeah. It's always yeah. really affirming to meet a fellow love activist. <laughs> and uh, Matt has got it, and it's just been yeah. amazing to, to get to know his story. Yeah. So what's your story behind this biography? I know story mm. is a, a maybe a triggering word, but... How do you um, how do you express love in your daily life? So this is a great question because it goes right to the core of what it is we're doing, mm. and allows me to explain why I don't care for personal story. Yeah, I would like to suggest that one of the biggest obstacles to love is our personal story, our mm. personal autobiography. I am this thing that I'm making up and you're this thing that actually I'm making up in my head based on what you've told me your story is and we're not really connecting. Our stories are connecting. Mm. So if you really want to be an extremist, you come into the present moment mm -hmm. with no past and no future and look at another human being, like I'm looking at you right now, like, a, like an infant. Mm. I have no idea who you are. So who you are is just radiating right now. Mm. I, I'm, I'm sure you can feel that because it's different than the way we normally interact. Mm. So in a weird way, that's how I practice love. It's fun that you are coming at it like that because in our culture, you have to be careful with that word love. It carries a lot of baggage. And, and people think, okay, so you mean by love, or you mean by love, and they don't ask what you mean by love. They simply assume that they know what you mean right. by love. And then you can get all tripped up in that. More story. Right. So some would argue that story is integral to relation. Hmm. It sounds like your perspective is the opposite. Mm -hmm. Story gets in the way of relation. Yes. And to be in stillness perhaps, or in presence there with someone go. else, There you go. we can relate more effectively. Yeah, so two things about what you just said. I would like to say that, that just to clarify, story um, may be essential to those people mm -hmm. for relationship mm -hmm. with someone, mm -hmm. but I'm just asking, what is it that's relating to what? Mm -hmm. your, your story is relating to somebody else's story, that's a relationship. Right. Or who you actually are now is interacting with somebody else who, oddly enough, is not what they were half a second ago and never will be. 
So if you're going to really stay current, it's a challenge. But I love your, your term, love extremist, because this is an extreme way to, to go about connecting with somebody. Mm. It's interesting because I'm experiencing you both as your presence as a human being in this space mm -hmm. and in this space. Yes. This space is the canals of Venice. <laughs> We're in a cool office. Yes. yes. In a beautiful old home. Yes. And so there's context here. And then there's also your essence and yes. your energy and yes. your attention. Which I'd like to thank you for even being able to pick up. We actually condition the space in this place before mm. we work. And most people don't consciously pick it up. You do. Mm. You're in this to, to, to play. I love this. Mm. <laughs> so what is this? I guess the thing that I'm articulating there is to me there's story in the space. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's difficult for me to separate that from yes. the conversation. Yes. And that's what stillness is. Mm. Stillness is a state of awareness with no perception of past and no perception of future. And since all negative emotions are rooted in that perception of past and future, I'd like to suggest that going into that state gives you certain things that we don't normally get when we're moving around like apes trying to survive. Number one, it's neurologically impossible to experience a negative emotion with no perception of past or future. Secondly, by being in this present moment, then all of the baggage this autobiographical stuff that's useful to us under other circumstances falls away. And I would like to suggest what's left <laughs> is love. Mm. It's the fundamental substrate of the universe. It's what we are before we experience a sense of separation. Mm. Physicists refer to that as the physical vacuum. <laughs> what happens when you take everything that's physical out? Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you would think then nothing's left. But talk to any sophomore in college who's studying physics, they'll tell you we, in a kind of a not really grokking it way mm. that a cubic centimeter of that physical vacuum contains more energy than all the matter in the universe, mm. out to, as far as we know. Wow. I, I am caught up a little bit, and I know that this is related to historic context. Yes. But I'm caught up with perhaps the quest or the, the process with which we can come back to our essence. Yes. Because I understand that at birth, with no story, with no experience, purely, well, there is story. There's what we experience within the womb, but yeah. at conception, right? Like there's certain, the question of when we begin is a big question. Brilliant. And there feels to be a lot of unlearning necessary to get to the place of stillness as you define it yes. and ultimately love. Yes. And I associate that unlearning with immense privilege. How does that word resonate with you? When you say privilege, what do you mean? The ability to release oneself from the identity of the universe around us. And be left with what? Stillness. Be left with love. Brilliant. So I couldn't agree more immense is about as far as our paltry English language mm -hmm. allows us yeah. to sort of poke at what it really is. Yeah. But I love that. I love that. So then working backwards, mm -hmm. acknowledging that there's immense privilege in holding stillness, even for a moment exactly. in one's life. Yes. And being able to access that as a portal to love. Yes. 
and connection and oneness. Yes. How do we start to disentangle ourselves, especially those of us who don't have privilege or even bandwidth or time or even like awareness of this thought? So I would like to first suggest that every one of those things that you've listed is a piece of fiction that's part of your favorite character in fiction, which is your ego. Yourself. It's fiction. (laughs) So I can keep telling myself I don't have time, and yet I have as much time as anybody else. Mm. The question is, where am I allocating that time? Mm. That gets to values, what's important and what isn't, which is a whole module that we'll be working with at this facility. Mm. But if you would like to radically and god i love your <laughs> love your idea extreme or radical mm-hmm. right love mm-hmm. would you like to cut to the chase and experience it now mm. would you be willing to stop recording while we do that and then come back mm. are you asking me that in real terms or? real terms Okay, happy to. I love this. So before we do, so your audience doesn't get confused, I want you to just go inside. And it's tricky because we've already spent some time together, so your state has changed. Sure. But I'd like you to go in and evaluate by any criteria, any metric you want, what is your state right now? Zero being, I I feel pretty crummy. Ten being, I'm so ecstatic I think there's nothing left to do but but just shuffle off this mortal coil and die because <laughs> I can't top this. What? Where are you? Uh, and then, um, there's no exam, so it doesn't matter if you're... Yeah, I'd say probably about around seven and a half or eight. Excellent. Seven and a half or eight. Yeah. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. So we're going to stop recording, and when we come back, you will have gotten still. Is that fair enough? Wonderful. Okay, good. All right. Okay. We're back. Before your mind comes back in and starts making up a story about what just happened, first of all, how do you feel? And notice where you have to go to answer that question. Mm. I feel... Very peaceful. And the energy balance between my body and my brain is a little bit more aligned. Good for you. And I feel as though there's a resistance to reactivate the brain. (laughs) And reactivate my critical mind good which is inherent in the interview process i'd like to suggest that it doesn't have to be i'd like to suggest that i'm talking to you right now and this conversation is going on without my conscious control at all Mm. i have no idea what i'm going to say I'm assuming there's some kind of coherence here, but this energy that we now have connected, Mm. it has nothing to do with these small mouth noises we're making. Mm. There's something much deeper going on. What's interesting is without, as you put it, reactivating your critical mind, Mm -hmm. I want you to notice that you too can go right on talking. There's just no interference Mm. with an autobiography that says... I have to ask some cogent question or I have to, what if I don't? No, you're right here. Mm. You're right here. Mm -hmm. Well, and it speaks to what we spoke about on the phone, which is language often doesn't quite do the trick, Mm -hmm. especially since language is a filter through which we speak out of our heads. Yes, I love that. 
So before we get too far back into language, I want you to tell me what it was that you perceived a moment ago when we got still. And please don't edit anything up. I perceived uh, traveling through time, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you articulated your the changes in the room and the changes in your essence, and I certainly perceived all of that. I felt my eyes less focused and yet also not blinking. Yes. They were completely focused on your eyes. Yes. And your face was transforming. Yes. Um, There was certain other energies of your face that were coming through that perhaps spoke to certain maybe, I don't know. There were certain energies in your face that I saw. Good, good. Your your right eye was larger than your left. Yes. Um, I felt uh, coolness in the room, a little bit of a dimming of the light, but the light almost was vibrating. Yes. And I was able, as you suggested, to go into my brain and expand... Yes. an area of my brain yes. and found myself generally noticing that I was smiling and also a little teared up Yes, in that process. And that was both enjoying and feeling lightful, you know, joyful in this moment of release Yes, and recognizing there are emotional triggers that maybe were coming up for me. Good for you. Especially as I work to access and take control of my brain in a physical way yes not a mental way yes and isn't that interesting yes yeah extremely. the brain as a physical rather than a mental thing right we say the brain as a muscle but i've never really i have actually i have opened my brain up for um visualizing and energetically releasing certain mm-hmm. things i don't need but mm-hmm. as many folks know I've suffered a brain tumor and still am healing that tumor. Yes. And the awareness that I can go into my brain and expand areas. Yes. And relax them. Yes. Which you challenged me to do was incredibly powerful. I could feel that relaxation like a hand opening. Yes. And emotional. Yeah. And you did brilliantly, by the way. I, I don't normally throw this at someone I've just met. I mean, these, these are powerful tools, but you did brilliantly. Plus, you told me energetically before we ever started, you're, you're here ready to go. I mean, you're here to get still and, and actually climb into the unmediated experience of capital L love. Mm. Okay, capital L love, a profound sense of connection, wholeness. No longer feeling separate or alienated. Mm. Well, you're the one that's talking about extreme love. That's extreme love to go there the way you just did. That, that's not talking about it. That's not sending someone a Hallmark card. I love you. This is deep stuff. Absolutely. And you're right there. I love that. <laughs> so do I. And I, I feel immense gratitude to have the access point to experience that with you. Oh, it was great. And in coming back to this moment of (laughs) perhaps more mental consciousness or dialogue, there was a little bit of like um, a reluctance, as you mentioned, that I might not want to come back to this moment. And also, let's be clear, I don't want to come back to the story that's ongoing, but you were in the moment. There was no coming back to it. You were in it. Right. I'd like to suggest you were the moment. I want to get radical. Yeah. And then the thing is, do I want to leave that and go back into this piece of fiction again, which is very useful for our survival as evolved apes. But remember, that has evolved, that capacity to even spin that story has evolved to help us survive. It hasn't helped, it hasn't evolved to help us thrive. 
The thriving part's up to us. That's yeah. what this is about. I understand. I understand. And I understand that as a mouthpiece for others. Yes. When I think of most of my peers, fellow apes, mm -hmm. I see them identifying with the fiction yes. wholeheartedly. Yes. In their full bodies. Yes. Often to the point of dis-ease. Yes. As I have myself. Sure. And who hasn't? I have too. And I think part of my um, feelings of reluctance to leave the moment of mm -hmm. stillness, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not so much reluctance, it's more so the bittersweet awareness yeah. that this is not something that we can spread immediately mm -hmm. as a universal truth yeah. in action. Yes. And that, for me, having had a story in history of practicing certain stillness practice, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. brought me to this moment where I can share with you stillness, experience what you offer and what I can offer and engage with you in love. Yeah. And I want to share that with the world. And I understand that's part of what you're working on. Yes. And I'm curious, how? Well, first I'd like to suggest that because you got still, that is, you just stopped all the things that are interfering with who you already are. You're already there. There's no getting there. We're just peeling the cobwebs out of the way. That mm. in the state you're in right now, you are sharing that with the world. I'd like to suggest that you go out right now and walk anywhere. Mm. And you will have a different experience with the people you interact with. Mm. You'll have a different experience with the animals you interact with. In time, you're going to have a different experience with the plants you interact with. It's a state. It's a state. And it's a highly energetic state. It doesn't require words. It's an unmediated, direct experience. That's what we're having right now. The degree of sensitivity with which this state calls yes. is one that often, in my experience, feels highly overwhelming outside of a quiet room mm -hmm. in yes. a quiet, often natural space or a space yes. where I have some access to nature. Yes. I'd like to suggest that that's purely a matter of how much you've practiced it. Mm. Because as time progresses, and part of what we do with people at the at still life, mm -hmm. is allow them to progress through the, the process of, I've never done this before, to, I'm actually really good at this, to, I've continued to practice until I've mastered it, and I still practice it, and now I've become it. I can do it any time, any place, for any reason. That's a process, just like learning to play the piano. And the conversational nature between you and I, yes. is that inherent in the practice, or can that be overridden, as you said, so that I can conjure that yes. in my own solitude, or with a group of 5,000 people? And that's the beauty of this thing. Since it's a state... It really, in the end, doesn't matter what it is you're doing or not doing. The thing that's interesting is what we think we have to do in order to have a conversation. I'm in that state right now. My brain waves are at around 7.5 hertz, beats per second. Mm. When you walked in, yours were around maybe 40. Mm. You've dropped right down into that space. Mm -hmm. By the way, it's lovely. It is. It's really nice being in the room with somebody who's in that I'd like to suggest that your conversation is far more cogent than it would be if that piece of your brain was doing what it does, which is, am I sounding like I know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All of that stuff's actually impeding your intelligence, your creativity, your problem-solving skills. 
I like to suggest right now you're measurably more intelligent than when you were 20 minutes ago. Mm. Measurably more creative, measurably greater problem-solving skills. And again, I just want to be clear, this is your birthright. This, this is not something that someone, you know, some secret knowledge. This is who we are. There, there's no intermediary between you and this state. There are only tools to help you remember that this is who you are. There, there's no doctrine attached to this. There's no dogma attached. What you do with it is totally up to you. That's the fun of this thing. And there are obstacles that exist in our daily nature yes. that perhaps um, orient us around 40 hertz or wherever we are. Brilliant, brilliant and, uh, point. So, in confronting those obstacles or acknowledging them, some of those have been around for thousands of years. Yes. And are part of our, our neurology just as the seven hertz is. Yes. That's true. They have evolved in a kind of piecemeal way. If you've ever looked at a bisected brain, mm. you can literally see the structures that have been metaphorically just duct taped on top of one another as we've evolved from what they call the primitive or reptilian brain mm. up through the midbrain, the mesencephalon, up into the cortex and eventually the new kid on the block, the prefrontal cortex. Mm. So as that has occurred, we've done a great job of evolving. I say that's terrific. But when these structures get in our way, it's nice to have the option to reboot, to just shut them down, control, alt, delete, shut the thing down, then come back up. And it's, it's a better version of Ethan. Mm. It's a better version of Jim because it doesn't have all of this craziness attached to it. We're living in a culture that, for various reasons, almost doesn't want us to be still. If, if we're still, we're terrible consumers. I'm a horrible consumer. I mean, it's embarrassing. I, I, you know, if everyone consumed the way I do, the economy would collapse in two weeks. My point is, it's all based on what you really want, which is why we work with values, that is, whatever's important enough to a person to spend their time, their money, their energy, their life to have, after we learn to get still, so we can even assess what our values actually are. But values drive behavior, nothing else. So love has occupied a heightened and more important place in your hierarchy of values than it does for the people who just don't spend time going around talking to people about love. Mm -hmm. your, your behavior can be traced forensically back to your values. And you've, you've communicated some really important values here. And I'm delighted to be with somebody who actually has those values, not is trying to signal to me that you have those values, but you're doing things based on those values. And I suggest that more and more you'll find yourself in positions, in environments, in contexts, and with people who facilitate your ability to get still and experience love, not, not fight it. That's a process of evolution, too. I struggle, not, struggle's not the right word, but the idea of teaching is an important concept in activism, in mm -hmm. art, mm -hmm. in all sorts of different walks of life. Yes. And what you're doing is a, a form of teaching. You're teaching folks about stillness and reconnecting with part of themselves that they may have lost or never connected with. Okay. I, I prefer the term reminding. Reminding, But yes. But that's okay. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I understand what you mean. I don't mean to be yeah. persnickety with the language, but I'm not telling you anything you don't already know at some deep level. Right. So, I don't know if I'm a teacher or not. How do you engage with those who aren't ready to be reminded? I really do believe that everybody's on their path, that they can't get off of their path. And at this point in time, those people know far more about what they need than I'll ever know about what they need. So if someone isn't ready, in quotes, for this, great, go pursue whatever it is you are ready for. Universe just has all the time there is. I mean, it'll take you as long as it'll take you. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's taken me to find this. I'm a bit of a geezer. And I've been banging my head against the, the wall for a long time. I would like to think that if I had had someone like me when I was younger, it would have been a lot easier for me to get to stillness. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm the guy who sort of stands there and says, well, here, try this. And if it's not for somebody, that's great. I'm, I'm in no sort of position to, to try and crowbar somebody into this. I love this state. The people who have, have gotten into it love the state and what it enables people to do. But if somebody's not ready for it, great. They're, they're doing something else that's equally important and, and it's part of what their path is all about. How do people find you to access the work that you do? Well, we've got a, we've got a website and uh, as everyone else on the planet does, um, you can actually reach me there, uh, jgeorge at still.life. Mm. And um, there will be then access, email access and stuff, so you can, you know, you can connect and, and decide what, if anything, you'd like to do. I mean, I'm living proof any idiot can do this stillness thing. Mm. And it's, it's fun. It's not some crazy discipline, nor is it some attempt to be in a state of stillness and stay there. We can't. We're, we're human beings. But it sure is nice to be able to reboot from time to time. What calls you to bring still life to Abbot Kinney and to the internet? What is it that calls you to bring this work more publicly? First, um, a remarkable team of people. Um, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. Um, the, the people I'm working with are remarkable in that they are young and eager and they don't know any more than I do. We're going into a frontier, a frontier of pure consciousness. The only frontier as far as I'm concerned. Um, and this team has come together in such a remarkable way that as we began working together, the idea sprang forth from others mm. on this team. Why don't we do something more than just your practice, Jim? At which point I thought, this is a brilliant idea. Mm. These, these guys are remarkable, way ahead of their years. And um, I don't want to embarrass them by naming them or, you know, make anybody out of joint if I forget to name them. But this is a team. Mm. And the big part of what this is is community. It's a place for people to come and do this together. And then the magic happens when you get a community together in a room where you leave your devices and your limitations at the door and this feeling is multiplied, not arithmetically, geometrically, by the number of people in the room, I hope the foundation's strong on that building because it's going to lift off one of these days. What do you mean by that geometrically in the numbers? Is there a specific There is formula? a phenomenon that you will experience that um, my practice, I've been doing this for 40 years, it's so much easier to get into this state when someone else is there who's in that state. 
as you can tell, I'm in that state and nothing is going to get me off this state. You throw a hand grenade in here and it's as good a day to die as any. Yeah. It makes it so much easier through a process they call entrainment or in uh, electronics they call it induction mm -hmm. where these electromagnetic bodies affect one another without actually touching. Yeah. So they've come to understand that the the power of what happens multiplies not arithmetically. In other words, we are not two times more powerful doing this. We're four times more powerful. It's the square of the number of people. Requires coherence in the room, but that's pretty, pretty normal that, that we get that. Mm. So you get a group of people together. They get coherent with no agenda and they all forget their story. It's like a bunch of computers in series. All of a sudden you've got a massive single computer. And the capabilities there are remarkable. You begin to see why any of these philosophies, religions, any of this stuff that, that do have dogma and doctrine attached to them have made such a big thing about gathering mm -hmm. together. Is there a, a, a cost associated with this experience? I imagine there, there is, but it totally depends on what you want to do and how much you want to do. We're, we try to keep it so open that people can stick a toe in the water, people can dive in, people can, you know, it, it runs a, a gamut. Mm. There is a cost in that... We have to keep the doors open. Yeah, real estate so, in Abikini yeah. not cheap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as you can see, I'm kind of a, <laughs> a lame consumer <laughs> again. Um, we're, we're in this for the, for the love of it. I mean, I'm hoping that, that anybody can rediscover what it is that lights them up. That's the neurological pyromaniac part of this. Yeah. That the, the, the gift of being able to help people remember why they're really here, because everybody's got it. It's just easy to forget. And that, that passion, when it's driving the, the bus, man, life is good. Life is good. Have you trained many others to teach or, or, or help folks remember? I haven't trained people specifically in this. I've done a lot of work with people and they have much more capacity to, to work with other people and do. But I've not formalized it in some sort of curriculum. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to give away as much in the way of tools. Mm -hmm. That's really what this is about. They're tools relationship tools, um, state tools, um, what to do after you get still, what state is optimal and how to get there. That pursuit is a remarkable gift because people are being blown from state to state like leaves in a hurricane. They have no idea it's going on. Once they gain some control of it, then the magic happens. And the audacity to go into our own brains, like you just did. I want to suggest something radical. You didn't just sort of metaphorically go in your brain. Do this. And for your audience, I'm asking you to take your thumb and just oppose it to your fingers, up and down. How do you do that? My brain directs me to do that. Good. I'd like to suggest that you have no idea how you do that nor does anybody else. But look at you. You're doing it like a real pro <laughs> because you've practiced over and over and over again. But when you started, you didn't have the story that says, I can't do this. Mm. So you did. And I want to suggest that you went right into your own brain, specifically to a structural area called the default mode network, more specifically to the posterior cingulate cortex, the seat of where this self-referential sort of autobiography takes place. And he just relaxed it. He mm -hmm. just said, calm down. It's okay. And it did. Mm.
And the fact that people aren't doing this is just a reflection of distraction. People have been distracted into doing other things instead. Hmm. Trying to distract themselves from the fact that this thing's run amok. Hmm. So we just calm it down and then say, how much do you have to devote to distracting yourself? I don't want to be distracted from this present moment. Hmm. This is really delightful talking with you. It is. There's a, there's a good energy coming from you because you're already predisposed to want to be in that space. I do. I think most people are. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to think that. Yep. Why Abbot Kinney? Abbot Kinney is a very interesting space. First of all, Abbot Kinney himself, an actual historical figure, was a whack job of a dreamer. This whole place, this whole city, Venice, was called Venice of America. The entire city was canals mm. because he went to Venice, Italy and came back and he owned all this property. And he says, oh, the hell with it. Let's make this Venice. It's same latitude. Let's, you know, and he did. Mm. And I love that. Number two, the, the area is a really beautiful cross-section of, of, of what's going on. There, there are people in Venice who have more money than they know what to do with. There are people in Venice who have no money. They have nothing and everything in between. There are people here who are so narrow in their thinking that they're just locked in a prison. And there are people who are so open in their thinking that it's hard to keep their feet on the ground and everything in between. Mm. So there's something magic about this place. Mm. But the actual building used to be a church. Oh, wow. So there's incredible energy in there. Wow. It's a, it's a really nice, That's nice building. It resonates nice with what we do. Wow. So it's fun. That's great. Yeah. It's funny... Being someone who lives on the other side of town, mm -hmm. I have a perception of Venice as missing a lot of that middle. Or seeing it <laughs> start me. to evaporate or move away yeah. over the last mm -hmm. five, ten years since I've moved to L.A. Yep. People are trying to do that. Some people. Mm. Others are valiantly trying to keep it. It's a dynamic. It's in dynamic. Yeah. But one thing about Venice, it's not afraid to be raw. It's not about to put that right out there on the surface. We take a lot of heat for that. Mm. But people, as a rule, are pretty open here. Mm. They're, they're not as locked into this is the way things should be. And in, in physics as well as psychology, they, they refer to that as entropy, mm. uncertainty. Right? right? So a little bit of that sprinkled in is actually really good because what our brains try to do is, is reduce uncertainty, even if it means making up stories that aren't true, mm -hmm. makes us feel better. Well, part of my love for Los Angeles is the entropy of the city. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's on the brink of so many things. You're right. The Pacific Ocean. You are The right. mountains, the winds, the yep. fires, yes. the earthquakes. Yes. It's all coming at us and, and the potential energy is so is so high in its vibration that that creates immense creative output. You're absolutely right. You know, the, the manifest destiny of yes. colonization here. Yes. And a lot of uh a lot of intense trauma and a lot of intense uh history. Yes. And that's what makes Venice an interesting sort of subset of what you're you're referring to which is mm. which is this southern california really but la yeah. um it's it's interesting but this broad um broad based scope of what people are into i think that's where you get things to happen mm. And people who are willing to deal with more entropy, more uncertainty, more change. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's literally keeping neurology younger, mm. if I can use that term. I don't mean you know chronologically younger, but certainly more open, less rigid. Because what our neurology tends to do is get just enough data from out there mm. <laughs> to make an assumption, make a best guess. This is what is happening. I see you, Ethan, and I see certain bits of information and I go, yep, got it. I already understand. I've seen a hundred people like Ethan. I already know everything. No, I don't. Mm. But it, it has to operate like that for us to survive. Mm. If every time we saw a stop sign, we had to get every little piece of detail, we'd die in an automobile accident. But every once in a while, like I said, it's nice to shut that down and open the floodgate. What, what Aldous Huxley referred to as the reducing valve, just mm. open that up wide. Mm. But very naturally, very, very endogenously rather than through chemicals, just open it up and see and hear and feel what's actually there. And then sure, come back to the sort of hairy bag of water that we're renting, you know? Right. Yeah. So you mentioned all this Huxley. Are there others who have inspired this practice? And Oh, my God. There are so many, um, so many people who've, who've moved in this territory. Yeah. They have called it different things, which to me, again, language, it makes it uncomfortable unfortunate because when someone says they practice meditation I have no idea what they're talking about right. I mean yeah. it, it could be Vipassana it could be meditating on something and thinking about it mm -hmm. so I had to I had to be very specific what this is about stillness mm -hmm. is a state of awareness with no perception of past no perception of future mm -hmm. in that state in a very real way. You have no idea who you are. Um, language centers start shutting down pretty quickly. They're called Broca's area. Mm. It just shuts down because it, it, it needs to go into its lexicon and say, oh yeah, I know what that means. And when you say something, I go into my lexicon and we pretend that we both agree, even though, who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So yeah, the the Buddhists have been all over this for a long time. Mm -hmm. Three thousand years they've been they've been on this. I think that their willingness and capacity to communicate it to a Western mind has been unfortunately not everything that it could be. Mm. I'm hoping that we can sort of cut to the chase a little more mm. and present something that comes out of this culture rather than trying to pretend like we're from an Eastern culture, uh, Hindu background and, and all of that, that we're not. Mm. That, that gets muddied into it. That's why I'm saying this has no dogma, it has no doctrine attached to it. Uh, we keep the presuppositions to a minimum. Mm. We agree on certain things, but we don't have to. When I say, I get still, Notice the linguistic trap mm. that puts me in. Mm. That, that there's an I separate from not still. Sure. Right? But we're okay with that. Yeah. Because when you get still, all that goes away. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to be okay with certain degrees of story coming in. Sure. The, sure. the nature of where you are. And, yes. And being in a church can be triggering for some. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure, activating sure. for others. So there's a sure. lot of context yeah 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 needs to shed yeah but remember too our goal is to give people more options mm. not to convince them of something or to make them do something it's just you have more options if i don't want to feel neurotic right now because my ego is in desperate need of defense because someone has just said something they've made small mouse noises for god's sake if they were making the same sounds out of the other end of their digestive system, we wouldn't pay it any mind at all. <laughs> and yet, my my entire history is under assault now. Yeah. 
when I feel that and I say, ooh, I, I don't want to be that guy. It's mm-hmm. nice to have something this quick. Yeah. To bring you back. That takes me back down. And that's the gift of this. That's why I'm the luckiest guy on earth. Mm. This isn't about me. It's something much bigger than me. Wow. Well, I feel called to, first of all, thank you for oh, thank sharing you. this experience with me Jeez, and thank you. with the world. And I'm grateful to hear that you have a good team around you that's oh, elevating you. These guys life. are great. They're phenomenal. That's if you cool. ever come down there, you're going you're to meet them. These, I, I call them kids because from my position, everybody's a kid, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that, that's one of the great things about geezerhood. <laughs> you know, it, it really does does open up your your view of people but this team has really um restored my faith in humanity Mm. i just wish i could lay out a bunch of names but that you know how that does it gets all (laughs) but you will meet these people they're remarkable yeah well folks will have to go and check out still life and and spend some time jim and the team um yeah, I think the 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 closing feeling that I would love to perhaps position as a question is, here we are in 2019, there's a lot of story mm-hmm. and context with that we are facing, whether it be our gender or racial or cultural or religious identity, yeah. political identity, yeah. all of these stories that are really affecting how we engage with the universe around us. That's exactly right. And those stories often consume our, 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 our lives. Yes. And the way that we might be treated by other human beings. Yes. So sometimes it's not in our control if someone else's story has a prejudice. Yes. Has um, a systemic level of oppression either that they've experienced or they orient towards others yes how do you address that reality of this time in the context of stillness first of all what a brilliant question because one of the things that i'm bound and determined still life and stillness is about is practical application of it it isn't going to a mountain in Tibet and becoming a nirvana junkie. It is about application. So is love extremism. Yes, and I love that about you. So let me ask you a question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but as you sit right here, I want you to notice the slight shift in how you feel. Just notice it. I'm going to assume that that sweet smile is an indicator that there's something there that you can perceive. Mm -hmm. You are very perceptive. Mm -hmm. But I would suggest that what you're perceiving right now has nothing to do with any story I tell about gender or politics or anything. This is something that is the substrate of all of us. This is the most powerful force on earth. It's just love. And remember how I'm defining it, right? Mm. Profound sense of wholeness, connection. It's not it's not a thing you get from somebody, it's not a thing you get, it's a state. Mm. And in that state, tell me, do you want to argue right now? Do you feel hostile right now? Do you feel attacked or assaulted or needing to defend anything right now? Mm. No. I would suggest that that's a great start when you're working with people who do feel those things because I promise you they don't want to feel those things. Mm. I'm not saying this is some magic wand. But I'm saying that if I don't contribute anything to their traumas or their need to defend or their need to be aggressive, then that's what I do. (laughs) 
I, I can't make the, the world go away, but that's what I do as best I can, wherever and whenever I go. But I'm a human being. I got a pulse. Mm -hmm. I will screw up. I will forget to get still. I will be an idiot. That's okay. That's part of being Jim. Mm. But I do know that I've been given this gift and that I practice it between 50 and 200 times per day. And that's the only reason that I'm not a bigger idiot than I am. Well, I am in immense gratitude to experience that gift and to have this conversation and engage both energetically and mm. verbally with you. Mm. And you. request as a fellow love activist and extremist that we both share in areas where it might um, not be as fluent. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And where those identities might be harder yes. to let go of and yes. yet most in in need yes. of this reminder. Yes. That's a that's a brilliant thing to remember. Stick mm. your toe in where it's not comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. Exactly. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jim George. So to take us out, I ask every guest to name their favorite love song. So I'm going to cheat like hell. It's okay. a three-way tie. Oh, whoa. Okay. okay. All right. So number one, um, John Lennon, Imagine. Beautiful. Okay. Number two, Joe Cocker, You Are So Beautiful. Mm. Joe Cocker's version of that. Because it rips at your heart. It just rips at your heart. I just watched the Woodstock documentary. Mm. Have you seen it? Mm. The recent one? I haven't seen the, so, the uncut thing. Joe Cocker comes out and sings, I get by with a little help from yeah. my friends. Yeah. I lost it. Yeah. His voice yeah. is just pure yeah. soul. It's funny, but people don't remember. That's a Beatles song. Right. The difference between those two things. It's crazy. <laughs> wow. It's insane. And the, the final one is What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Beautiful. That's like this uncorrelated, unmediated love for everything. Mm. And I just weep every time I hear that. Mm. It is a fantastic. So I'm sorry that I couldn't. That's okay. To I'll pick one and okay. we'll drop on the outro. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This has been Love Extremist Radio with Jim George in Venice, California. Check him out. Check out Still Life. And we'll post some links in the story below. And please comment and share and rate this podcast. And thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you.
the world.